in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my genuine co host, Patrick Pister. Hey, Mark, how you doing today? We're having a great time. We're uh, hanging out in your uh, co-working space here on the uh, other side of Houston. Yep, here at the Cannon. It's a good place. It is a cool place. Uh, they're playing ping pong outside. <laughs> gotta, gotta blow off some steam. Is that mandatory for every co-working space in the country? I think so. It's a it's a millennial thing. <laughs> it's a millennial thing. Uh, speaking of millennials, we don't have a millennial on the show. Who do we have today? No, but he's right at the cusp, I think. We've got Mike Munsell from PSRG. Can you tell us what PSRG stands it's, for? It stands a- for Process Safety and Reliability Group. So, And y'all do... We do process safety, safety management, uh, safety assessments, and training. And you're just all over the place right now, aren't you? We're in Houston right now, but you've got a... Yeah, I'm out at Port Arthur, then uh, back over to Galena Park, then to Mexico, then up to Michigan, and I think Indiana, and who knows what else. Yeah, And Patrick, you and Mike actually met somewhere else outside the canyon. We did. We, we met at the IADC's HSE&T conference about three weeks ago here in Houston. Yeah, and Mike, you actually presented out there. What did you present on? Yes, I did. I presented on using small incidents to uh, enhance safety culture. Yeah, and any listeners of this show for any length of time know that Patrick and I both are all over this whole culture thing because it's the biggest impact, whether it's it's a good impact or a bad impact. Yeah, and figuring out how you can actually drive cultural change. And I think what Mike was talking about at the conference is it gets overlooked because they're usually small incidents that get handled at the site or rig level. Uh, they don't have a lot of corporate involvement, but they, they are a great way to affect change. Exactly. Actually, if, a lot of times you'll hear them called near misses. Near misses. Some people like near hits because they don't like the, the mean near miss term. But yeah, these, these small near misses are great opportunities to learn and change your culture for the better. Absolutely. And so what often happens, Mike? So, you know, I've been on a rig, I've been in pipelines, I've been in refineries, you know, and stuff happens almost on a daily basis where something could have bad happened, but it didn't. And and we call that a near miss. And you're saying that we can actually use those to help actually change the culture of our industry. Absolutely. You can use them because uh, especially if you can get the people who could be affected by that almost happening, if you can get them to be the ones looking into it and investigating it, then you raise their situational awareness such that they're less likely to have a near miss in the future. Yeah, and so kind of talk us through that. What would, what would that look like? Well, let's say we got somebody walking along like I was over 30 years ago and not keeping aware of my surroundings and walked under where a piece of pipe was being swung over by an operator who also was not keeping aware of his surroundings and got a glancing blow on my hard hat. What well, was enough to scare me, and it was considered a near miss, But uh, there were a lot of things that were wrong about that. My situational awareness was wrong. His uh, awareness was wrong. We weren't following protocols and so on. So you have a near miss like this, something small that almost could have happened except it didn't. And maybe it didn't happen just because all the right pieces weren't together. Or maybe it didn't happen because that a safeguard that you had in place, a barrier or a control, actually worked. So if the, the, the means that we propose is that 
I would then have been part of the team or the person leading the investigation into the near miss. I would have sat down with at least a couple of other of my peers. We would have talked the situation through. We would try to identify uh, what I did wrong, what anybody else did wrong. We'd try and identify what barriers or controls or safeguards might have failed. And then we'd propose some, some changes. At the very least, no matter what else, because the people that could be hurt by this or the people who are discussing it, it raises our situational awareness and we're less likely to get into that situation in the future. Yeah, and it also has to have a much greater buy-in when you and your peers are going through this versus somebody from town or corporate saying, hey, you need to do this X, Y, Z. Right. I work as, a, as an incident investigator. I come in as a third party on, on uh, severe incidents. And uh, it's very intimidating for the folks. And having a corporate person come in and take a look at it, it's intimidating. You're not necessarily as open. But if it's just you and your guys and you're sitting there, can talk back and forth. It's a lot more relaxed. You're more likely to be open up and so on. And with peer pressure, eventually it's going to change your culture a little bit because you're going to have some peer pressure to not make everybody think through this thing in terms of, of having to sit down away from the job all the time. Yeah. And the places where I've seen culture change rapidly in the oil and gas industry, it's always there. It's a peer-to-peer thing. When one of your peers goes, hey, dude, you don't have your safety glasses on, that carries more weight than any corporate memo coming from anywhere in the world. Yeah. That's what we see from the outside also. And it's uh, one of the reasons why we changed some of our training to try and push down any of the techniques that we use, push them down to the people that could be affected by it. We find when we do an audit of uh, safety programs that some of the low-hanging fruit for the auditor is finding that the, the hazards that were recognized were not communicated to the people that would be affected by the hazards. And if the people who are actually doing the investigation of the near-miss are the people that could be affected, you're immediately communicating the hazard to them. They're becoming aware of it. We're getting back to that situational awareness that is so critical. Yeah. And Mike, not, not to jump subjects, but I think as far as this show is, you're the first HSE person we've had on the show that is not classically educated to be an HSE. You came from a different world, didn't you? Yeah, I'm a, I was originally an oil field geologist. I came out at a point in time in which one in every four oil field geologists lost his job. So I ended up not working directly in that. I went offshore, lied about my background just to, uh, <laughs> so I could get hired. Uh, told him, yeah, it was obvious I'd been to college, but I told him I had no degree. I was just at college for the girls. <laughs> and uh, was able to get offshore, work as a roughneck for a few weeks, then went and work as a mud logger, became a pressure engineer, finally segued out into core analysis, fracture analysis, and so on. So the cool thing about that is that you've come from the field. You've been there. You've done that. You've got your boots dirty, right? So when you're out here helping companies improve their HS&E metrics, this isn't some academia exercise. You've been there. No, to me, this is very personal. So I like what we were talking about with the changing culture with these small incident investigations, but I think we may have been going a little, little further. I wanted to know, how do you even get these crews to agree to have an investigation for something that may seem so minor? That if you call it a near miss, they all they would say is, yeah, nothing happened. So why do I even have to do anything? I think that might be the first step of getting towards changing culture is you still have a culture gap there. Yeah, what you have to do is the push for this, the effort for this has to come down from the top. The top has to buy into it. They have to realize it. There's a barrier there, though, that happens is that is all too often when the press is for safety is coming down from the top, the people that are pushing it think that they're the people that have to do the investigation also. What they need to do is they need to demonstrate the method. They need to get out on a rig 
and they need to have a near miss or a small incident, and they need to immediately sit down with the folks that could have been harmed by it, maybe the people that are, are escorting them on the tour, and go through the method. Don't even tell them this is what we're going to do. Just do it. Well, backing up even before that, how do you, because a lot of these near misses would be self-reporting. If it was just you and a crane operator, hey, we, you know, sorry, I bumped you with that load, but let's not talk about it. You you still have to get that self-reporting to a point where you can take it to the next level and have an investigation. Do you have a problem with that self-reporting that if something is a near miss, the crews just think it's not that big a deal? Yeah, you have to get the company behind things so that so that there's a lot of integrity involved from the top on down. You can't have management advertising safety and not uh, actually using safety, using the same principles. That's a killer. I think one of you guys told me earlier about it, an incident that you had seen in which top management appeared on the photo of a magazine without safety gear, and that's a killer for it. Yeah, that'll, that'll destroy the <laughs> anything you've built up to that point. Yeah. So in order to get that culture, I mean, integrity from the top on down is absolutely required. I think that what you have to do is you have to show the method. And I think you have to, to, you can only show the method if you've done it yourself. So start at the top, start working on down. You have near misses in corporate management as well. Identify them, uh, go through this method, uh, become aware, and push it on down to the next level and keep on doing that until finally you're getting down to the people who are on the rigs, the people who are most likely to get hurt. Now, it's not an easy thing. Culture change is never easy. But if the guys down who are, who are wrangling the iron around can see that you're doing the same thing that they're doing, they're more likely to do it. Yeah. You know, Mike, you bring a good point that we've touched on other shows, but there almost seems to be this disconnect or this this difference in opinion between near misses back in the corporate office and near misses out on the job site, but they're both near misses. You know, whether somebody slipped and caught themselves going down the stairs at the corporate office or where somebody slipped and caught themselves going down the the doghouse steps, you know, it's still a near miss. And I'm probably guilty of that myself where I look at things that go on back at the corporate office to a lesser degree, but it's not really. Yeah, there's a there's another issue here at play. It's called relevance. And the folks down uh, who are on the drill floor or on the deck who are wrangling materials around, uh, if you're bringing to them examples and so on that are back in the corporate office, it's not relevant to them. Equally, the corporate person who's only thinking about safety in terms of what's happening at the rig is unaware of the relevance to themselves and the fact that they have near misses too. You can have a near miss in invoicing. Oh, I almost did an invoice. You can do near miss work in uh, at the corporate level. You have to get that relevance, or else the corporate side's not going to buy in. If they're not going to buy in, they're not going to push it down. So you have situational awareness on one side, which is becomes is an output, and you have relevance has to be part of the input. Relevance and integrity. Well, just like I sending an email that if you you know I I oh I forgot to send that attachment, or you know as soon as you hit send, you see all the misspellings that you had. Those are I mean those are actual incidents that you had or errors in your work, but could lead to something bigger. And it is relevance that all right, well it's not it's not something major where I'm handling a large piece of steel, but it is an error I made in my in my work that should have been caught, corrected, and, and changed. Absolutely. One of the there's, there's some cool things about small incidents and near misses that also apply that make it easier to get into culture change. One of which is that there are probably a hundred to a thousand near misses for any incident. 
in which when speaking in health and safety terms, if you actually have somebody who physically gets hurt on the job, there's been a thousand near misses. Well, why is that good? Because it's cheap and easy and quick to evaluate near misses. And if you can do that, you're doing this far more often, you have a far greater ability to affect culture change because you're not doing this once a quarter. You're not doing it under conditions in which people are afraid for their jobs or they're intimidated because somebody else is coming down. You're doing this every other day at the level in which you're working, at the level of the people that can be affected by what's going on. So that's one of the values of looking into near misses and small incidents is the fact that there are a lot of them. So when you're talking about relevance, how is that relevance? You may have a lot of small incidents. Explain to me how is it relevant to investigate these small incidents when you're really trying to, to stop the bigger things, you know, the mass casualty, the uh, environmental spills. How are these two connected? How are they relevant to each other? That's a really good question. So near misses and small incidents are often features of what we, what we call a complex system. So if you think back, when you were living on your own, had a fairly simple system. You got married, your system immediately, your whole life immediately became complex. <laughs> Beyond belief sometimes. You had kids, all of a sudden that complexity went up through the roof. Now you've got logistics to deal with. Complex systems, one of the features of complex systems is called emergent behavior. Emergent behavior you could also think of as when that incident, that big incident happened. But before you get to that emergent behavior, which you have, is you have a whole bunch of near misses. Because in a complex system, as you're getting towards end of life of that system, for whatever reason, small incidents tend to appear. So what they're doing is they allow you to forecast and this is one of the best uses of small incidents and near misses is to use them to forecast that something big is coming down the pike. So you hear a lot of times in maintenance circles, you call this the bathtub diagram in which a complicated or complex system, a complicated piece of equipment is most likely to fail at the start of life. And then it, so then the, the curve goes down and then it flattens out. And then for the majority of the life of that complicated piece of equipment, you don't have much in the way of incidents and failures. And then towards end of life of that complicated equipment, you, things wear out and so on, you start to get little bitty failures. These are indicators. And if you're keeping track of those, it tells you you're getting to end of life. So you can use these small incidents investigations to forecast that something's going wrong. Well, now how does that apply to culture, to changing culture? Anytime that you have a group of people who are working together, you have a complex system, okay? And the same thing happens in that as happens in a big piece of equipment. You get personal dynamics in which the people no longer work together. Maybe somebody's pissed off. Maybe somebody can't focus uh, well because he's got a situation going on at home. Maybe somebody's ill and doesn't know it. They just feel bad. The group dynamics are such in a complex system that you'll start to get these little failures, these near misses will apply. And if you can predict those, if you can recognize them, if you can predict that there's going to be bigger failures down the pike, then you can actually put your money, your safety money, to greater effect because you can always want to be able to spend your money preventing rather than responding to and I, I can reiterate that if if people if our listening audience doesn't believe that the that your com your people are a complex system that model a piece of machinery, just look at the, when the incidents happen. They happen at the beginning of tower. They happen at the end of tower. They happen when they first get on the rig. They happen when they when they are about to go home. So it's it's the same 
you get a new group together that hasn't worked together before, they've got a shakedown period, they've got to learn how to work together, they don't do well, then they finally start to run, run smoothly. After a period of time, all of a sudden things start to happen. Yeah, so if the failure rate can, can mimic something that we know, a piece of machinery, let's use the same techniques to try and troubleshoot. Is it? Absolutely, but you've got to use good techniques. So a lot of times you'll hear about 5Y. Okay, 5Y is a relatively simple technique that's used for near misses among small incidents. The problem with 5Y, uh, which consists of asking why five times, answering the question, asking why again, kind of drilling down as far as you can. The problem with 5Y is a lot of people aren't well trained in its use. It was originally developed by the Toyota company for use on an assembly line. It's not 100% a good tool for what we do, but it can be modified slightly to be used by the people that could be affected by it, the maintenance group, or maybe the hands who are sitting together that work the same tower, right? If you can do good five whys, good investigations by whatever method you use for these small incidents, then you've got good data to forecast where a big incident might be coming down the pike. If you don't do good work on these, then you're getting noise in your data and your forecast is not going to be accurate. And then you're wasting your money. Yeah, and you know, Patrick, I want to go back real quick. I had never thought about this, but you're right. If you have these near misses, it's an opportunity for you to practice. It's an opportunity for you to correct in a situation where nobody's worried about losing their job, where nobody's been hurt, where nothing's blown up. I never even thought about that before. It's almost like, you know, your major league baseball team, you have the games that count, but you also have practice games. And and the practice is where you improve your skill sets. And it's it's almost the same thing here. Yeah, it's human nature. I mean, work with human nature to change human nature, to change, to affect culture change. If you don't do that, you can't do it through advertising. You have too many companies whose health and safety groups think that if they advertise health and safety and they put posters up everywhere, they're going to affect culture change. And there's some problem with their logic. They, they think that advertising is the same as communication, which it isn't. They think that communication is the same as training, which it's not. And they think that training is always effective, which we know doesn't work. So advertising is not a good way to affect culture change. Yeah, we uh, unfortunately we've seen that in a lot in the last what ten or fifteen years in the industry where where there's initiatives internally, almost PR initiatives to you know, let's cut hand incidents in half or make sure you have your glasses on, and it's literally just advertising. Well, it's funny until Mike said I didn't connect the two. So you know, five Y is a, a Deming principle that we're hanging our hat on. That's how we're going to do our root cause analysis, but. He was also hugely against signage as a form of advertising. If you just tell somebody, hey, don't cut your hand off, put it on 500 signs, that's not actually making them safer. So we're using the same philosophy, but we're picking and choosing which pieces we are going to value. Right. There's nothing wrong with, I think advertising has its place. These signs have their place, but they're not effective unless the people are already buying into the safety principles. So they don't replace the safety principles. They don't affect, uh, replace changing people's culture. Yeah, you know, I wonder what would happen if instead of putting the signs up, if you got the frontline workers to help you write the signs. Yeah. I, I mean, now they have buy-in. I could get some interesting signs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you, it would be real. You know, you would get some interesting signs for sure. Yeah, I'd have to play with that one. Just do that in a sandbox maybe. So let's assume that you're, you've got buy-in. You're actually doing these investigations on these small near misses. You're, you're demonstrating that the, the top believes in this. You're getting buy-in. How are you collecting this data? So it's, how is it useful to predict larger incidents if it's not put in any kind of system where it can then be distilled down into these 
core areas to focus on. Give me your take on how do you take those small learnings and apply them to predictive analysis? Yeah, that's a key point. And this is another one of the areas that when we audit safety systems that we see a lot of problems. So consistency is a quality of its own. And what we have to do is you have to find a way to, and every company is different, to take that casual conversation around a table when the guys get together and they talk about what happened about the near miss and they come up with some rationales for why it happened and they come up with some ideas about it. You have to be able to com- compile that information, capture it and compile it. Easiest way to do that is with a form. And so fill out a form. Don't try and get these guys and force them to get onto a computer and log on and so on. Get that information captured and then send it in to get compiled and dealt with. Now, keep it on site so that they can look back through it because there's a certain amount of ownership and pride of ownership and look what we've generated over this period of time. So the the thing that you can't do, though, is you can't take the person who's responsible for compiling the data and turn that person into the person that creates the data. And this is what we see all too often. You have somebody at a location who's responsible for health and safety. They get tagged without having to do all of the five whys. And so they end up getting pencil whipped because they've got another job too. They've got lots of other things to do. So once, so, so it's key to, is you've got to find a way that works with your local group. Pen and, and paper tend to work really, really well. Get that stuff done, get it copied, send it into somewhere where somebody can compile it, categorize it to a certain extent, do a little bit of quality control on it and enter it into a spreadsheet so that you can see what's going on. Because in a spreadsheet, you can do some simple population statistics on it. And you can take a look and see whether what you're looking at is just noise or whether there's a clear trend occurring. I like that. It's it's simple. You're not talking about, oh, we have to do this whole new system. If you if you have something that works, pen and paper, get it put into a into a into a spreadsheet and then to use that to to trend some data. And if you guys are used to working with a spreadsheet and every time they enter any information they do it in a spreadsheet, then by all means use the spreadsheet. One of the things I, that I've run across in my career, I'm kind of a techie, and I like and I love using these these sophisticated pieces of software and modeling and this and that, and I try and push it on people, and it doesn't work. Have to find out what works for that crew at the crew level, or you're not going to be able to be effective in getting this information in on a consistent basis. And consistency is one of the keys to quality in this kind of work because – what you need to do is you need to be able to compare apples to apples and apples to oranges. But what you're doing, you're getting grapes and grapefruit mixed in with there, and you're only looking for apples and oranges. You're never going to figure it out. Yeah, and we talked about this a bit at lunch where companies, typically top-down, will invest money into a tool that the frontline people don't want, and then they force them to use it. Well, then, of course, that data is corrupted, which makes it almost worthless. So you're better off having it in Microsoft Excel, something that people are comfortable with, than some tool that nobody wants to adopt. Yeah, and those tools actually are, you know, are quite valuable, but they're usually most valuable at a corporate level and not as valuable hands-on. And this is about affecting culture change using small incidents. And the, the best place to do that is with the people that could be affected by the change. I cannot say that often enough. Don't have a third party coming in and doing these near misses. Don't take a health and safety guy and, and have them do all the near miss investigations. Have the people that could be affected by the incident do it because to them it's relevant and by doing this they gain situational awareness yeah and and you also get to the real truth of what's going on i mean patrick you have talked about this before but you know you have some miss right 
and you send somebody out from corporate, the guys out in the field don't necessarily want to tell him everything, right, for a bunch of reasons. Whereas if it's just them, they are going to be more open and honest and get to the what actually happened quicker. Uh, absolutely. You know, somebody can look at him and say, hey, don't blow any smoke. I, I can tell that you're dragging, and I know that you've got something going on. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Well, accurate or not, if somebody comes from comes out from town, they're, they're going to run somebody off. That's what the guy's thinking. All right, he's coming to do an investigation. Somebody's got to hang for it. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be my buddies. So we'll just give them the bare minimum. Another aspect we haven't talked about, you know, we always associate small incidents and near misses and incident investigations with things that are bad. But hey, if you've got some things that are going pretty darn well and you almost didn't do that, or if you did it and you don't know how you got there, Use the same techniques to figure out how you did it so you can replicate it. So I was going to ask how you define near misses then. I guess it's not just, like I'm thinking after action reviews. Anytime you do a job, you can have one of these small investigations to figure out you could. what went that's, right, what went wrong. That's, that's one way of doing it. And after action review is very common offshore. It uh, actually came from the military originally, after action reviews, and it's very valuable to them. We're hopefully not in a battle with our own people. <laughs> but... I really think that the crews should be able to convene on the spot and address an issue. If you have a, have a near miss and you can convene your crew, there's no reason that you can't get quality information out of it within 10 minutes flat Yeah, and, and then get back to work. And I would think the quicker you do that, the better the information. In fact, I know that. I mean, it's just human nature. The quicker you talk about it after it happens, the more it's fresh in everybody's mind, the more accurate the information is. And the more often you're doing it, the less afraid these guys are about losing their job over something that, that is really meant to improve the organization, to pr- improve the safety. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I come in as an external third-party incident investigator all the time. And usually these are on large incidents, maybe a fatality or or a loss of, of many tens of thousands of dollars of product or something like that. And the single biggest uh, barrier is the people are afraid to talk to me. And so I have to work with techniques to do that. But that barrier shouldn't exist down at the crew level. And that's what we're talking about here, affecting culture change from the bottom up with push and impetus from the top down and with engagement from the top down. But the real change takes place at the bottom. Well, and that's a good point too, because if you're if you're capturing these lessons learned, if you're if you're doing these investigations to figure out what went wrong, what went right, you're passing it up the chain, and then nothing happens. That'll also kill a program too. As much engagement as you may have on the ground level, if top isn't helping them mm-hmm. solve their problems, the guys at the ground level are going to stop. Or think about the impact on the top level too. If you're getting real valuable data that elects that helps you prevent incidents that saves you money, that gives you a good record, that gets people wanting to work for you because you're safe, and that data is coming from the bottom up, you're going to put more value on that information and on the people at the bottom. So there's a chance for the culture change to permeate upwards too, so that the people at the top understand that they're not the source of all good, that there's a lot of value with the people that get in their hands dirty. Absolutely. I think it's a great point. I think it's an awesome point. It's because that's where the real lessons learned. I mean, most of the improvements I've seen out there didn't come from some guy sitting in a cube in the office. It's some guy in the field that goes, you know what? I'm tired of beating on the steel with a piece of, with a hammer. It has to be a better way. Yeah. And it's funny. The, the companies I've worked for offshore have told you, you know, don't manufacture a tool offshore and then put it into place. But most of the great innovations have come from a guy in the field that needed a solution. We just talked to him about the uh, the hammer union, the safer union, yeah. yeah, not hammer unions, the safer, safer unions, union. yeah. He was he was tired of swinging a sledgehammer, so he invented a new solution that they you know spawned a company. So the solutions are going to come from the people in the field with their hands on the equipment. 
have an appropriate process to vet the solution. Don't put anybody in harm's way, but but use their their answers, use their solutions to change things. There's a tremendous wealth of knowledge at the field level. Let's use it to affect change. Let's use it to keep people safe. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and then from I mean, from a front end front line worker people, those guys they're all buds, right? They all want everybody to go home, even if they're not buds. They still want everybody to go home safe with all their fingers and toes and everything. It's just part of the industry, and they've got pride in their work too. They want to be recognized for doing a good job, for making an improvement, for changing something for the better. Whether that means a promotion or pat on the back, they want to do a good job, yeah, and they should be recognized for it. If they do a hundred days straight in a row without any near misses or something, they're doing something right. Why should they not get the recognition for that? Yeah, no, it's great. It's um, This is about the time where we start winding down the show, and it's time for our Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Mike, you have a safety tip for our audience? Uh, yeah, going from my old field days, uh, if you're about to, to uh, ride the Widowmaker up in the basket up to the to the rig, don't bend down and try and grab some another piece <laughs> of baggage at the last minute, because the time when that crew boat comes up and slaps the bottom of that Widowmaker, you can end up doing a somersault and landing either in the ocean or back on that deck. Yeah, geez, and I wonder why they call it the Widowmaker. Billy Pew, for <laughs> people that don't know Widowmaker, but yeah, yeah, good point. I actually had never heard Billy Pugh. Really? I heard Willowmaker before. I wonder if that's a geographic thing. I don't know. Where'd you do? Where you offshore? The Gulf Widow, of Mexico? Yeah, Gulf of Mexico. Widowmaker. Yeah. It looks like a spider web, so maybe that's where it came from. Yeah, the spider web. Anyway, great uh, Red Wing tip of the week. Hey, Mike, see that bag over there? It is like super, super high demand. You can win one. And if you want to win one, it's really easy. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in. We give away one bag a week. Uh, audience, you can also uh, enter to win. And we've quit announcing the offshore bag winners. Yeah, there's still our winners, but we stopped announcing it because it, it put a little bit of a time delay in our production. So we still have winners coming out every week, but we're not announcing them on the air. Yep. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. Hey, I did the legalese. Hey. <laughs> hey, shout out to Sarah. <laughs> we, 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 we took your part. We did it. And then, Mike, it's um, this has been great stuff. If, if you wanted to hear more about what we're doing with this show and our other shows, you'd go to our LinkedIn group, which is Oil & Gas Global Network on LinkedIn. And then if anybody wants to know what Patrick and I are doing next, it's really simple. Go to Oil & Gas HSE. Dot com. He got it. Yep. <laughs> and uh, give us your email address. We won't spam you. Um, this way you'll find out where we're doing first next. If you want to find out what we're doing next second, this Oil Gas Global Network and LinkedIn group. Uh, Mike, this has been a really good uh, interview. Thank you so much for coming on the show. That you, know, that you really made the wheels turn in my head by taking these near misses and using it to drive cultural change. It's something this industry needs. And it's actually, it sounds like a way that just automatically just almost makes sense in the way you do your normal day job, right? Your peers are saying, hey, dude, don't do that, do this, whatever. Why not do it this way? I mean, it just makes total sense. It makes sense to me. And, uh, you know, it makes sense that people get to go home safe every day. Yeah. So, Mike, if people wanted to learn more about you and your company, where should they go? Best is to go online at www.psrg.com or take me to lunch. <laughs> and, and you know what? We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll also put a link to Mike's uh, LinkedIn profile. So if they want to take him to lunch, they can just reach out directly. Absolutely. So, Mike, is there, is there anything else, any last words, anything you want to uh, leave our audience with before we get off the mics? Just remember that the only person who's responsible for safety is themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. So yes, freaking true. Perfect. Yeah. So, Patrick, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. 
Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond.